All right, so we are on uh, week number 47 or something like that uh, of Giants Will Fall, and it looks at all the things in your life and mine that have the absolute potential to wipe us out. And so we talked about greed, we talked about pride and envy, we talked about fear, we talked about you know the unknown, about I like to keep my life simple and, and exactly where I understand everything is going to be. We never want to try anything new because like it, it could be bad. And each week, like I've tried to think, like how am I going to make this story from thousands of years ago applicable to today. And sometimes the internet just does my job for me. And there's a, like an immediate story or an immediate thing that totally relates what we're talking about here to what's going on all out there. Uh, and this week it happened. It was great. Uh, if you watch basketball, chances are you've watched some games on TNT. And you know they got four analysts who talk about the pregame and then the halftime and the postgame. Uh, and two of those, one of them, uh, his name is Kenny Smith. And he's one of the smaller of the guys on the TV, and he's blessed because he has a shaved head, um, and, and I like him. Another one of them is a guy named Shaq Diesel, and you can't talk about Shaq without talking like Shaq. Like, that's one of the rules of life, is you can't talk about Shaq in a high voice, because he's got a really deep voice. So what they do on, this, on the show is they've been working together for like 10 years. And when you've been working with somebody for a long time, like you like to mess with them. That's fun. So Kenny Smith, the small guy that we're going to look at in just a little bit, when there's something that he wants to talk about, he leaves the desk and goes to the big screen, and he'll diagram everything and, and like coach it all up with kind of going John Madden on it and everything. And so everybody who works with him knows when Kenny wants to talk about it, he's going to go to the screen. So what they'll do is they will race Kenny to the screen, but the thing is they're not as fast as him because when you're 6'6 six, six and 300 plus or 7'1 and 300 plus, you're not doing anything fast. So it's like an effort to get there. And so this week, there was something that Kenny wanted to talk about on the screen, and then this happened. Let's roll tape. Don't cheat, Chuck. Don't there cheat. he goes. Don't cheat. Oh, that was bad right there. That was bad. All right, let's watch it in slow motion. The giant will fall. There he goes. 7 1, 350, into the Christmas tree. Moral of the story don't mess with the skinny bald guy while he's running. All right. Today we're looking at. We're looking at Two giants that fall. One of them, Big Diesel, into the Christmas tree. The other one uh, is something that, that is kind of a spinoff of what we talked about last week. If you were with us last week, we began to, to take the giants will fall thing and look at the Christmas story through that. And so we looked at a guy named Zechariah. And you might identify with Zechariah because he is someone who really, throughout his whole life, tried to do everything right. Like he worked in church. He loved his wife. He did everything. But there was something missing. He and his wife had prayed for a kid for years and for years and for years, and now he is old, and it says, it doesn't say that she's old, but his wife is advanced in years, uh, and, and there was no kid, and, and that created a doubt and a burden and a pain inside of him that even when an angel shows up, he's still done. Like, his pain is too much for him to believe anything, and the giant we're looking at today isn't that it's the giant of a really dark future. I don't know what your life is like as soon as you leave those doors today. But what we're looking at today is the story of somebody whose reality was absolutely turned upside down and then run over with a lawnmower from a human perspective. But through that, God ended up doing the absolute miraculous 
Because what this person experienced is what we've been talking about. At Christmas, the king was born and the giants fall. At Christmas, the king was born and the giants fall. And it all happens in that order. The king is born and there are still the giants there. Because the more that you and I read the Christmas story and what we're going to look at last week, this week, and then the coming few weeks is that if you feel like your life is an absolute mess, you're the perfect candidate to find yourself in the Christmas story. Like the more we read this thing, the more aspects of the biblical Christmas story are just hanging on by one unknown person making this decision instead of that decision and everything falls together. If these people over here would have decided the logical thing instead of the improbable thing, then all of Christmas will have fallen apart. This is really good for us to understand, to remember, as we look at everybody else's Christmas cards as they show up at our house, right? Because nobody is sending the Christmas card of the spouses just glaring darts at each other. Like, nobody sings that. Like, nobody shows that. Everybody's Christmas card is absolutely perfect. And so we look at that through the lens of our own life, and we think, oh, I can't measure up. The Christmas story from the Bible doesn't measure up to that either because it is life upon life upon life of disaster. And the one we're going to look at today is no exception. We're looking today at the story of Mary. Mary, by all accounts, was a junior high or high school girl, very young, in a know-nothing city, and she is engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. In that day, engagement was a legal thing. It's kind of like, like basically a, a marriage today of what we would see about the two households, the two estates kind of coming together. And also in that day, as the way that God created, it's the expectation that there's going to be uh, abstinence leading into marriage, that the, the couple, before they are married, they're not having sex with each other. And so that sets the stage for what is going to happen in Mary's life. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26, which is, oddly enough, picking up exactly where we left off last week. And it says this in Luke 1, 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The first thing we see about Mary is a challenge. The first thing for you and me as we walk into and walk against the giant of a dark future is that there is a challenge. And so the angel says, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. I read that and I think everything's going to be easy. And in reality, that is the opposite of what happens. Mary's engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. Mary is a poor peasant girl on a forgotten city. That's why Luke has to clarify he says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Where? Oh, that's a village in Galilee. Like the, her life is about to be absolutely thrown into a blender. And the challenge begins with the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. I think in our dream world, what that means is everything is going to be easy. But in reality, what that means is that God being with us doesn't mean that everything ahead of us is going to be perfect and smooth forever. 
It means something that Jesus said years and years later. He says, in this world, you are going to have trouble, but take heart, be encouraged by this. I have overcome the world. For Mary, her, she's, she's about to be the first person ever with relationship status. It's complicated because she's going to have to go tell her fiance that she's pregnant and it's not his, but it's God's. And if we're thinking that sounds crazy, he did too. And there's like biblical evidence of that. Like he's like, this is nuts. I, I, I can't even make a decision about this. I need a couple days. And the challenge for you and me is the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. We think that God's presence in our lives means that everything is always going to be up and to the right. And that's never reflected in the story of God's people. Instead, it's something better. It's something kind of like this, okay? Y'all are probably wondering what's under here. This is what we need for life. This is a real tire, all right? This is the type of thing that will get us through anything. You look at the roads around here, like the side of the road where it's not a sidewalk. It is dirt, and it is mud, and it is deep, and it is a mess. And this is just the tread that we need in life. When the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and said, do not be afraid, the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. This is what he's talking about. For us to follow God means that the Holy Spirit living inside of you and me, and that's the definition of what it is to be a Christian, is that we're prepared for whatever's coming. We're prepared for whatever's next. And it's not because we're great people who are tough. It's because for God built us for this. God sustains us for this. God's presence is made brightest and most powerful where life is the darkest and most difficult. And so he built us for this. He built us to withstand a dark future. And not only to withstand it, but for his presence to be what makes a difference in it. This doesn't mean that we check our brains at the door. I'm going to knock this over so it doesn't knock itself over. Perfect. This doesn't mean that we check our brains at the door. Like instead, Mary goes right at this faith moment with a scientific question. Kind of the aside in this is there's never going to be a scientific question where the Bible or where the Spirit of God is just like, whoa, I can't answer that. Your science is too deep for me. Instead, God invented science, and God uses that as just one more thing to show everybody how great he is. So Mary goes right at it with a scientific question. She says, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Like she's had the conversation with her parents. Mom and dad explained, this is how, what happens when babies come into the world. And this is something that God created for marriage. And if that hasn't been your life, then we worship a restoring God who can forgive us and, and change past decisions to use, use those, use our lives for his glory. Like Mary's asking, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And so the angel answers her question with hope and assurance because God's not scared of science. Instead, God answers it with his presence. It says this in verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. For the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. It's the presence of God moving into a dark situation. Like Gabriel never says, trust me, everything's going to be okay. You're going to feel absolutely, no, you won't ever feel absolutely alone because everything is going to be so good. Like that's, that, there's no way that that was Mary's reality. Mary's looking at this, listening to the angel and just encountering, okay, I'm going to be alone. 
Joseph's going to leave me. My parents are going to kick me out. My city might try to kill me or might just kick me out. Like at best, she's living, looking at exile and wilderness. But God says that he's going to be with her. I mean, we're told over and over again that in this life, you're never going to experience anything that's too much for you, that God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's never found in the Bible, all right? That's found on fortune cookies. That's not found in the Bible. Instead, what happens is we see story after story of God leading men and women into situations which will absolutely break and destroy them, but they're never destroyed alone. They're walked and they're led and they're held together by the Spirit of God. And in a room this size with this many people, we could tell stories for hours of how that's happened, how God has held our lives together. The presence of God, the power of the Most High that overshadows us has changed everything. This will break you, but you won't be broken alone. Now, let's, let's pause the sentimentality for just a second. All of us, most of the brokenness that we have to endure, that we have to navigate through and all that stuff, was brought on by the person that we see in the mirror every morning. It's us. So where's God in that? Like Mary, just she's going through life, and the angel just jumps her and says, I'm going to ruin your future, and you got no say in it. But for us, we're like, yeah, I, I, I did all that stuff. I made all those decisions. I was the pro- chief protagonist in every bad decision of my own life. Where is God for this? Is he just like, man, give me somebody who I can start over with? Or does God do what God has always done? And that is continue to use the things that the devil has tried to destroy us with instead as the foundation for his work in your life and mine. He's not just going to make the consequences of our bad decisions disappear instantly. Sometimes he does. But even when he doesn't, what he does and what he has a track record and a a pattern of doing is using what we think is rock bottom to our own downfall. Instead, God uses that as the foundation of his work in our lives and through our lives. One of the guys who is not everything put together but was kind of a disaster in the story of Jesus, he says years later after Jesus had died for our sins and rose and from, risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, he says that we're the stones that God uses to build his temple. That's hard stuff. That's difficult stuff, stuff that goes on the bottom underground and then everything on top of it that's built is beautiful. The presence, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It means that God is gonna use our disaster to do more than we could do on our own and to change the direction of our life and of our eternity. I mean, even if the next 10 years, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months are going to be impossible, we know that if we follow Jesus that the next 10,000 years are going to be glorious because the power of the Most High will overshadow all of our lives. God, it makes our, our weaknesses, makes our disasters display points for his glory and for his work in the world. It continues, verse 38, Mary responds, like how she can respond to this. This is the angel showing up. This is going to be scientifically impossible, but it's going to happen in you, and it's going to have an enormous like emotional roller coaster effect on you. And Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Like this is commitment. This is Mary's decision to follow God in the midst of what looks really dark and really bad right in front of her. 
She says, I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. For you and me to become Christians doesn't mean that our parents went to church. It doesn't mean that we even go to church. It means that our old life is dead and our new life is no longer lived by us. It's lived by Jesus through us, which means that Jesus teaches us how to treat people, that Jesus teaches us how to handle our finances, that Jesus teaches us how to run our sexuality, that Jesus teaches us how to exist in our family. Jesus is running it now. And what Mary says absolutely reflects this even before Jesus enters the scene. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you've said about me comes true. I mean, for us today, God has a pattern and a history of using yesterday's emotional hurts for tomorrow's victories. And like Mary's legacy isn't someone who just had a few difficult days and, you know, then everything was awesome. It's, it's a legacy of following Jesus literally through good times, through confusing times, and through emotionally destructive times where she watches her son killed. Because after that, she watches her son rise from the dead. She really follows Jesus through everything, follows God through everything that's in front of her. And it's a commitment for us to say, okay, even if my future looks dark, even if I don't know how we're going to make it to the end of the month, I don't know how relationally, emotionally, things are going to continue to stay together. I don't know. What God's asking for us is the same thing that Mary responded with. For us to say, man, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then there's the aftermath. Verse 39, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. You know the guy from last week. And she entered the house and she greeted Elizabeth, Zechariah's pregnant wife. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Like that's what we want said about all of us. You're blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And we don't get to the other side of, of a dark future without carrying this through. You know, what, what God says to us, I'm with you, don't be afraid because you found favor with me. That as you walk into a dark future, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For us to say, I'm the Lord's servant, may everything you have said about me come true. That's the only way we get to the point where, where our life reflects God's blessing because we believe that the Lord would do what he said. So what's happening right there is, is a moment of prophecy. Elizabeth is a follower of God, and, and in that, the way that this happened um, before Jesus lived, died, and rose again is the Holy Spirit would enter people's lives. That's the Spirit of God moving inside of people for specific things at specific times for specific results. And so the Holy Spirit moves into Elizabeth and begins speaking through Elizabeth things that he wants to communicate to Mary. And it's all in words that she understood. It's a word of prophecy. And one of the things that's talked about in the Bible after Jesus is the value of prophetic words. It's us speaking into each other's lives in words that each of us understand, things that God wants to say to us. And just as Mary needed that reassurance from, from Elizabeth as she heads into a dark, difficult future, we're in the same place. We're in places where we need the Lord to speak to us. And that's how we're going to close today. So in a little bit, the worship team is going to come up. 
And the prayer team is going to go to the side. And this is our moment to respond to the presence and the spirit and the speaking and the words of God today. The story of Mary is probably worse than anything that we're experiencing right now. She's a small town girl in a religiously super strict city who's about to walk into the hardest announcement of her life that seems absolutely crazy. I'm pregnant. It's not yours. It's God's. Trust me. Let's be honest. And through that, God leads her to peace. God speaks to her. God reassures her. God guides her through a super dark future. And she gets a front row seat to the glory of God poured out for the salvation of the world. And the same God who did that is the same God who wants to speak to you and me today. So what's this going to look like? You go to the side and the team will just ask you, what's your name? Because it's really annoying to pray for brother or sister. I just, what's your name? And then they're going to ask God, what do you want to say to this person here? And then they're going to tell you what they feel like God is saying. It could be a picture, like a mental picture. I feel like God is speaking through this. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words, all that stuff. That really works with following Jesus. They're going to pray a Bible verse over you, or they're going to pray a name of God over you. And are, they, are they going to read your mail? Are they going to tell you everything that you're doing wrong in life? No, because that's not what we do. Instead, we're going to ask Jesus to come in and Jesus to speak to you and for Jesus to meet you today, to give you hope, encouragement, and a future just like the Holy Spirit gave Mary and led her into a super dark future and then through a super dark future that didn't look so dark in retrospect. We want God to do that same for us. Let's stand and let's pray.